Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. This is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com, and as always, I'm joined by the illustrious... Adam Sims over at the Back Patio Network. And we are here once again to talk about two episodes of My Hero Academia. This week, we are on episode 45 and episode 46. Yeah, these were two great episodes. Uh, 45 picks up almost immediately after we left off from 44, except it does the whole thing that it was doing last week, where it's five minutes in the past yet again. Uh, so we've got this scene where it's everybody that has been at the main site. I guess the main campsite. It's kind of like their main building. Uh, it looks like it's a, like kind of like a small school room, really. Yeah, and we catch up with... Uh, so it's a it's a growing group of individuals because initially uh, the group of people who were back at the campsite were the remedial heroes, um, but now we've also got Coda's in there. Ida and Mineta showed up. Yep, Kaminari I think is there. Um, is Kirishima there too? is definitely there because he's the one that's super pissed off that Vlad is not letting any of the students go help. And even Ida at this point is like, dude, like we should go out there and help them. Like the more fighters we have, the better we're going to be. And Vlad is like, no guys, like it's not happening. Uh, you guys are students. Like we're here to protect you. And as he's explaining this to them, you hear the door click, and it seems like someone's going to be walking up. And at first, I think they think it's Aizawa, uh, but it turns out to be another clone, Dobby. And he walks in the room and blows it up. I mean, like just immediately starts distracting everybody. Vlad is freaking cool, man. Like we have not gotten to see anything about him yet, but he slams Dobby up against the wall and uses something I think they call a uh, a blood control quirk. Yep. And it, it seems like his blood comes out of his gloves and he, like, crystallizes it. I mean, it was freaking cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty gross if you think about it. I mean, I went onto the wiki and actually read about this after I watched it. And oh, yeah? What does it have to say about him? So his quirk says, it's called blood control. And it says, this is, it's talking about this this scene specifically. It says that after ejecting a certain quantity of blood from the back of his glove, he can freely manipulate it. And with his quirk, he manages to restrain a clone of Dobby by pinning it to the wall and covering it with the blood, ending the fight in less than three seconds. And when he no longer needs the blood, he can just reabsorb it back through the same glove. That's awesome. But at the same time, I feel like that's a huge limitation to his powers because you can only carry so much blood on you. Yeah. And it's also just gross. Like that's, yeah, that's the thing is why are there so many blood quirks? Like Toga's obsessed with blood. Hero Killer Stain uses blood. It sounds like there is now a hero, Vlad, that uses blood. I don't know. It just seems weird that that is a reoccurring thing. But I don't know. I guess we keep seeing reoccurring hard skin, too. So, Yeah, I mean, he, he puts a lot of blood in place to pin Dobby to the wall. Like, I've given blood, and what do you give? Like, a quart of blood or a pint of blood? And, like, most people are, you know, a little woozy, a little nausea, uh, nauseated afterwards. He probably puts, like, half of what a normal human has in their body on the wall to pin Dobby there. It's a lot of blood. It, it seems like a lot, yeah. So uh, maybe that's part of, maybe that's, like, an uh, another part of his quirk is he just has, like, greater capacity for blood or is able to generate it somehow. I, I mean, like, I mean, we obviously we all generate blood, but is able to generate greater quantities is what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I mean, perhaps. Uh, I like the fact that he kind of has like a half orc look to him. Like he's got these bottom teeth that protrude yeah. up. Like he's just a cool character. Like we don't know much about Vlad. He's just really shown up this season. Uh, class I, B, class one B thinks that he's great though because they're all like whispering. Well, they, um, what's his name? Manoma's in the background. I was gonna say Manoma's the only one B guy there. I think. Yeah, and he's just like, that's our awesome Vlad. Yeah, I think his name is super. Vlad. Vlad King. I think is his last name. 
Uh, I don't know. I didn't I look. Know. It just seems like that's a really cool name for a hero. I, li- I like Vlad. He is he's on my approval list. Yeah, and he's got like if you're looking at his character design, he's got like a tube that comes up like into his glove from his back. So maybe that plays into how much blood he can generate too. It's oh, strange, or maybe that is the strange. I well, while I'm, he's got I'm done guessing about it right now. <laughs> well, while he's got Dobby pinned up against the wall, uh, Dobby lays down some pretty hard truth on him, and he tells him, "Like, look, you guys are already defeated. I mean, the two pillars of heroism in this humanity are All Might and UA, and we've embarrassed and humiliated both of them. So, even if you guys get out of this, which you're not going to." You know, you you failed. Like you have lost, and it's going to be even worse once people find out that you guys have let a student be kidnapped. And this is when Aizawa pops in the door and like basically just stomps this clone into nothing but mud. And it's really funny because he just keeps stomping into him. And I think it's Ida that is like, "Hey, I, I think you got him, man." <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you can chill out, dude. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty good. Yeah, it's uh well in the manga anyway, it's Kaminari who's like, uh, Mister Aizawa Sensei, and he's just like standing in a pile of the goop. That's funny. Yeah, uh, and, I guess Aizawa's and, only reason to show up was to hand off Koda, right? Like that was really his only reason for coming back. So they kind of got lucky with him showing up like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, just to revisit quickly what Dobby says, uh, he's he's real right. I mean, this is like to hear him vocalize it. This is exactly what. Uh, Shigaraki would have wanted and they executed it with perfection, at least so far. I mean, they still haven't like technically exfiltrated, um, but they've, they've at least got their targets in hand or at least their target Bakugo. And then they, you know, a plus one with Tokoyami in the little ball right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's just like, listen, if, if the most prestigious hero school and also the number one hero of all time weren't enough to stop any of this, uh, what do you think that this is going to do to the public's perception of heroes in general and their ability to protect? And yeah. I was and, like, dang, checkmate, son. Like, and their, they did their it. faith in the heroes. I mean, it's going to be lost. Dobby is 100% right. Like, I think he totally mind-checked Vlad here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the the clone has pretty much been decimated. Uh, Aizawa is about to head out, and Vlad questions him. Like, he's like, hey you know, is it really wise for you to go back out there? Like, we don't know anything about these villains. We don't know what their quirks are. Like, this is dangerous, man. And it reminded me of Sue from last episode, because even Sue was mentioning, like, we don't know anything about that girl's quirk. Why should we go after them? You know, we need to stay back. So I think it just kind of, I want to give props to Sue. Like, I'm starting to to really like her as one of my favorite students, probably. I don't know who I would say my favorite student is. I mean, I think if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast at all, you know who my favorite character overall is, without oh, a doubt. Yeah. Um, Student-wise, it's tougher. I have a hard time liking Goody Goody Two Shoes. So Midoriya is. I mean, I like I like him, but I don't think he's like my favorite. Um. I really think that just like as far as characterization goes and just like personality, Jiro might actually be my favorite because really? she's just okay. real chill. Like it's not like she has the greatest quirk. I don't think her quirk is like amazing or anything, but she's just she's just chill and effective when she's, you know, when when her quirk is needed. And I don't know. I, I, That's I'd kind like of her, why I like I'd Sue, say. I think. Like she's kind of always in the pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting that neither of us are like, yeah, we like the guys who are definitely like frontline fighters. I mean, we're, we're definitely like support hero kind, you know, these guys yeah. that are kind of more backline fighters, but still have obvious utility in a, in a fight. So, right. Which is kind of funny for me because if, if you've ever listened to me play any, uh, uh, actual plays, which is what some of the back patio does, 
Uh, I typically play fighters that are frontliners, and they normally die really quick. Like, <laughs> I'm always playing the berserkers or the fighters or, you know, the people that are up in the front line. So for, for me to like one of the support characters as much as I do, it's kind of a huge change for sure. It's interesting, too. Jiro doesn't do anything in all this. Isn't she knocked out no, by the gas? Yeah, she's knocked out by the gas, which we find out later on in this episode. Oh, uh, in fact, there are a handful of, of heroes that were knocked out by the gas, but we'll, we'll get into those here in just a bit. Uh, let's dive into Midoriya just, you know, landing on uh, Mr. Compress after Sue throws him and Shoji and Todoroki at Mr. Compress. Uh, it, we zoom back over to all the villains and Mr. Compress has fallen right in front of Dobby and Toga and, you know, Kirigiri and all of them. Actually, I guess Kirigiri's not there. Just yeah, he yet. hasn't showed up yet. He hasn't shown up yet. Uh, but Mr. Compress gets up and he's, you know, they're he's trying to kind of get away. And these other villains are like, oh, great. They're here. We know who these folks are. Let's mess them up. Uh, and it gets bad real quick. Like, immediately things are not good. Uh, Toga starts off by trying to collect some of Midoriya's blood. Shoji has to knock her off of him. Did you notice that Twice was, like, attacking people with measuring tape? Yeah, it was something in the manga. It's very clear he pulls it from some sort of, like, wrist thing that he's yeah. got on his wrist. But, yeah, it's like a. it does look like a measuring tape. Like a, It's almost like a segmented uh, piece of, I mean... I, I assume it's sharp and durable. I mean, we don't get really get a really good look at it, but yeah, he comes after Todoroki, I think initially with it, who, you know, takes absolutely none of that and just ice blasts him backwards. Yeah, but he's like cutting that ice in half, it seemed like, with whatever this thing was, or he's he's able to get around the ice pretty well. Yeah, it's, it almost looks like a flat garrote. Is that is that how you pronounce that? The, like, you know, like a, people used to do it with piano wire and stuff like that from behind? Yeah, Except it's a little does. bit longer. I, don't, I mean, you're asking the wrong guy about how to that's, pronounce a word. <laughs> that's true. Fair. <laughs> I would have just Fair. made something up. So <laughs> yeah, I'll take I'll take your word on it this time because I'm not even sure. Right. Uh, well, the Kurogiri does end up showing up, and he's about to take everybody away. The kids are like, "Hey, we've got Tokoyami and Bakugo back." And Shoji shows that he's got those two marbles. So they get up and they're trying to book it. And Dobby is pissed, and he's like, "All right, we got to get these things back." And Mister Compress tells him, "Like, oh, hold on a second. And as the kids are running away, is when Kurogiri pops up, and right behind him is the Nomu. Like these kids just run into two of the worst possible people they could have. Yeah, I actually have in my notes, I said, uh, Shoji rolled a high sleight of hand and lifted Bako, uh, Bakugo and Tokoyami from Magic Man. And then they say that they're going to run. And uh, my next note is, it's smart and it's doable since Bakugo is currently a bead. Because if Bakugo were not currently a bead, there would be no running. Bakugo would be like, no, we're going to settle this right now because I'm Bakugo. But, yeah, but I kept thinking, like, if they get away with these beads, who's to say they're ever going to be able to turn them back? I had the same thought. I was like, they don't know how to... Like, they don't like know how this dude's eggs. cord works. Yeah. Yeah. That you like, can just gonna... tap them a couple times on the side of a counter and they come out. Like, like that's not how this might work. We put don't them know. in a glass of water, like seeds, and hope they crack or something, you know? Yeah. That would have been a really funny, like, uh, like alternative universe ending, like a what if from Marvel. <laughs> if they're just yeah. like, what if they actually did get away with Bakugo and Tokoyami and they get back to the camp and they're just like, uh, so uh, so what now? And they just end up like fixtures in a fish tank somewhere. Where somewhere, just yeah. Like, yeah, they just, you know how like, people put those decorative glass beads at the bottom of vases and stuff yeah. like that? Or even better yet, it's like those uh, like foam animals that are like the foam dinosaurs, you know, that they come in like the little tiny uh, like ball foam or whatever, and you put oh, it yeah. in a glass of water, and it grows and they seven grow. times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or it could be like uh, those old, uh, oh man, they used to be on TV all the time. They were, what was it called? The little like clay heads that would you could grow grass. Oh, chia out pets. Of. Chia pets. Yeah, you could have your own like chia pet bakugo. Yeah, and his hair would grow out all explosiony like it, just like <laughs> it, just like it does. It would be great. 
but that's but that is not at all what happens. Yeah, no, no. not at all. <laughs> uh, so the kids are trying to get away, and as you know, they think they've got their friends. It turns out that Mr. Compress has hidden them, the real friends, uh, in his mouth, which sounds weird to say. Uh, but that's where they are. He's hidden these little marbles in his mouth, and Shoji just has pieces of ice, and we get a quick flashback where Todoroki threw some ice at Mr. Compress, and he did a quick switcheroo, which makes sense. I mean, the dude's dressed up like a magician. What Could you yeah. expect anything less, you know? Yeah, definitely. It was misdirection, and I think he even like explains that a little bit. He's just like... I knew you were focused on my right hand, so that's you were focused on the thing that I wanted you to be focused on at that time, which is what magicians do. Yep. And then out of freaking nowhere, man, like I was not expecting this by any stretch of the imagination. Ioyama saves the freaking day, like just pops up out of a bush, blasts his naval laser beam at Mr. Compress, who then gets hit and I think his mask like cracks and he chokes on the marbles and spits them out. So plus one to Aoyama, I guess. He stood up and saved the day. Yeah, I think in one of our previous episodes, I said that I, I can't root for Aoyama being successful in anything on principle for, for reasons, but I'll be darned, man. When he blasts uh, uh, Mr. Compress in the face, I was like, boy. Actually, my notes say, who'd have thunk it? Like yeah. with a question mark and an exclamation point. Because I number one, I totally forgot he was still hiding in the bushes if I'm being just... No, I, I did too. I mean, it's been a week since we watched the episodes, right? And not only that, but like he didn't do anything when he was presented with the opportunity last week. So why would he this week? You know? Yeah. But hey, man, kudos to him. He did something, and it and it it seemed to have worked. He, uh, Mr. Compress, spits both of the beads out of his mouth, and then it becomes uh, like a high stakes game of catch. Mm-hmm. Did you? So the moment that they realized this too, Todoroki and Shoji jump toward the beads and totally drop Midoriya. Like, and he, he just falls flat on the ground and is like totally messed up. Shoji is able to grab one with no problems, uh, but Dobby is able to grab the other. And he even like pokes fun at Todoroki and he's like, oh, poor Todoroki Endeavor, you know? Yeah, poor Shoto Todoroki. Whatever, else was. His, his name is not Endeavor anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. Poor Shoto Todoroki. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, I, I feel kind of bad for Todoroki here because I feel like this might have been a moment for him to shine where he could have taken credit for something that he did that was really heroic, whereas last time he couldn't, you know, for legal reasons. This time he could have, but he failed, you know, and it's this is right on Todoroki. I mean, he could have done so many other things that might have succeeded here. Well, they Dobby takes a look down at his bead, realizes that he does have the Bakugo bead because, like, Bakugo, and they show it weird, but it looks like there's a miniature version of Bakugo inside of the bead. Oh, that's interesting, because in the English version, I think he just looks at Mr. Compress and says, confirm it real quick, and Mr. Compress, like, decompresses them, it's Bakugo, and then they just nope out of there. Yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, they they undo, yeah, you're right, you're right, but there, I swear there was a scene, maybe it was at the end of one of the last episodes, where it looked like there were tiny little, oh yeah, it's when, um, in the manga at least, it, when the uh, Mr. Compress shows that he has the beads in his mouth, there's a uh-huh. tiny Todoroki and a, a, t- a tiny Tokoyami and a tiny Bakugo like inside of the bead. Huh, which like is little weird... Pokeballs or something. Yeah, except well, you can see inside of them, which is strange, but it is, it is what it is. I, have, I just have a note here. Uh, you know, there's this last scene where Midoriya gets up and he tries to run after Bakugo because the portals are slowly cro- closing around Dobby and Bakugo and Dobby's got his hands around Bakugo's neck. Bakugo just tells Deku to stay back. Like, I think he's doing it out of compassion for his friend more so than anything. He probably sees how bad Midoriya is messed up. First of all, he doesn't want to be saved. But second of all, he doesn't want Midoriya to get captured as well. Uh, But in my notes, I just have Q Midoriya crying for a good reason for once. Yeah, my notes say 
we're talking about Bakugo, he put up surprisingly no fight whatsoever. I don't think like, he could have, man. I mean, like, he knew. I, I, Bakugo's smart enough to know that if he was to do anything in that moment, it would have gotten his friends killed, I think. I don't know, man. I mean, no one's around to save them. Midoriya can't even stand up. Shoji and Todoroki are totally in shock with what's going on. I think he was probably in shock, too. I mean, for all we know, those whenever he gets decompressed, he's in a stunned state as well. So he may not have even been able to fight back. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, it kind of reminded me of... Um... You know, with the Saiyans, at least early on, like for like Raditz, if you grabbed a hold of his tail, that suddenly he was like incapacitated for right. reasons, right? That like maybe grabbing Bakugo by the neck was enough to do that. Because I, I was like, man, not not one explosion, not like, he doesn't even look like he's like twisting at all. He's just like, all right, this is this is where I'm going now and walks backward. Um, so it just, it just, it was weird. I hadn't considered it weird until you just brought it up, really. But now that you're mentioning it, I can see what you're saying. Like he... It was very uncharacteristic of him to not have at least fought back a little bit. Because has he seen? Has Bakugo even seen what Dobby can do? I don't think so. I don't think so he knows he what is. See, and there's another part of me that thinks that Bakugo is smart enough to a realize that they're in a really shitty situation, that they're not going to be able to get out of this without someone else getting really hurt. But on top of that, there's kind of a, a thought where Bakugo wants to be a hero. Maybe in his mind, being the hero in the situation was going with them so nobody else got hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he knows that if he goes with them, that it all ends. Or possibly, like, I could see arguments to both sides of what I'm about to say, but not knowing what Dobby's quirk is could have given given him plenty of reason to be like, I don't know what he can do, so I'm just going to go along with things. Because at least right now, I'm not dead. So yeah. I'm, you know, or if he did know what Dobby's quirk is, he might have that all that much more reason because we know that his little fire things come, at least as far as, we, as we've seen it, it emanates from his hands like Bakugo's, and that hand was on his neck. So that was risky. I don't know. It just, I was like, huh. I mean, it didn't even look like he squirmed. Um, so it just, it struck me as odd. That's all. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely kind of odd. So you talked about Midoriya crying. He lets out like a really big scream right here, right? And I actually have in my notes, because I think an episode or two ago, we talked about, will anybody ever die, right? And in lieu of our belief that nobody will actually die, I do like that in this, at the end of this scene, before we start getting into like tallies of the actual like, who was unconscious and who was fine, the heroes lost. And I, I like that. I like, you know, nobody died, sure, but that the heroes didn't win, I actually appreciated that too. And um, I, was, I was thinking too, what if this would have been a season finale? That oh, moment man. right there. Bakugo disappears into Kurogiri's portal, and it's just like, we'll see you in eight months when the next season starts. That would have been devastating cliffhanger. That would have been a crazy... I think it was last episode I had mentioned I didn't like where they left off. Uh, and, and the reason that I didn't like where they left off is, is kind of for this exact reason. Like, they immediately went into this new storyline and cleared up all of this campsite stuff within, like, 10 minutes of this episode. And I, I don't think I wanted it to stop. You know what I mean? Right, but having right. to wait a whole, like... I don't know. I don't know what the pace of My Hero coming out has been. But if it's, like, a normal TV show, I would think maybe a year in between seasons. Having to wait a whole year to figure out if Bakugo can get out of that would have been infuriating. Yeah, my notes just say, could you imagine if this was where, even if it was just where an episode of ours ended, where like this was the end of the second of the pair of episodes that we were discussing, I would oh, have been that, like, 
Oh, wait. All right. Hit pause on the record. We got to go watch this and settle it right now. I would have messaged you beforehand and been like, hey, this is going to be a three, uh, three episode, episode. Three episode run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, after we get that scene of Midoriya crying, uh, you know, they pretty much focus the rest of this episode on starting up the new storyline. But before they get to that, uh, they have a quick follow up where they basically explain that. The villains left. Uh, Mr. Vlad King called emergency services, and they show up. They put out the fires, and it looked like they were actually like watering and aerating the forest, probably trying to get some of that gas out, I would guess. Uh, and they break down what all's happened. So out of the 40 students, 15 were unconscious, 11 were injured, and 13 were unharmed physically, is what Midoriya says, because it's very clear that this has taken a huge mental toll on them. Mm-hmm. And, of course, one is missing, which is Bakugo. Then they explain that there has one that there's one pro hero missing. There's one pro hero that's been completely incapacitated, uh, which would have been Pixie Bob. It looked like her head got right. caved in. Yeah. Um, and then there were three villains that were caught, specifically Mustard, Muscular, and Moonfish, all starting with M's, which I thought was convenient. Yep. It seemed a little odd. I don't know why. It's suspicious. Yes. Uh, and then it is explained to us that Midoriya was slipping into and out of uh, consciousness for the next, like, five or six days, I guess. Uh, like, he's been rushed to the hospital where they've done everything they can to recover him, but his body is pretty messed up at this point. Yeah, I mean, he he should have been out of commission just after the muscular fight. Absolutely. Well, and even Aizawa makes the point of saying, like, the only reason this guy's still breathing is the fact that he's got so much adrenaline pumping through him that he he is able to function. The moment that he finishes this fight, he's going to collapse. Yep, he was he was accurate, and it was uh, well. We could talk about. I think I think the doctor t- tells him some of this stuff. It was it in this episode or the next one. I think it's the next episode for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, this, it is. It is. And this is where we transition really into the next story arc, I guess, uh, which seems like it's going to be a, a bit of a like rescue mission story arc. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it starts off with all of these reporters just hounding down UA High. Like, they're at the front gates, the gates are closed, and they're just sitting there, like, screaming questions as if there are people there. And it actually pans through the school, and there's no one there. Like, no school students, there are no teachers, and it finally pans over to a small meeting room where it's got present Mike, uh, Nezu's there, Midnight, Snipe, and I think All Might is the other person there. I was, I was really shocked Aizawa wasn't there at all. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but it, we find out that Aizawa and Vlad were, are both being interrogated by Sukoichi during oh, that's this right, meeting, that's right. so that's why they're not there. But it did seem weird that they didn't, like, wait. I mean, they're homeroom teachers. I, unless this is just, like, board meetings, like maybe head of the school. I don't know. Well, Aizawa for sure has been involved in all the other ones. I don't remember if Vlad was or wasn't, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. It just seemed weird that they were there. Uh, But they're talking about how, you know, like, what are we going to do? This is a bad situation, you know? And it's interesting because I think it's Snipe that makes the comment that they're all super rusty because All Might handles so much of the crime that, you know, they just don't really need to do much, you know? And and poor All Might's talking about how he was relaxing in a bath, like a bubble bath, while these students were just getting totally wrecked, and he feels horrible about it. Yeah, he's he's definitely... He's got like it's it's weird, but he's almost got a survivor's guilt, right. even though he wasn't like in the actual crisis. He's very he's struggling with the survivor's guilt, and even though nobody died, he's still very much that's that's kind of where he is psychologically right now. And they start talking about how they've been complacent instead of proactive, even when they knew that there was a great threat to the students. And 
Uh, I think it might have been Snipe, like you said, that says something like, to have a student captured is UA's greatest failure, and they've they've stolen Bakugo and also the people's trust in us, which is exactly what the villains were aiming for. Absolutely. And even Nezu is talking about how he's fairly certain the whole reason that they're after Bakugo is because of the sports festival. Like, the sports festival showed off his villainous side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, I've got in my notes, present Mike is my man, because he stands up and he's like, all right, there's a traitor around here. Like, just just slams it out on the table, and I love it, because I've been saying that since, like, the third episode of this podcast. Uh, I've been convinced for a long time there's a traitor. So Present Mike is now my, officially, my favorite uh, teacher. Okay, and I think for a long while I had denied that as uh, as an option, but I think in one of the last three or four episodes, whenever the villains first got to the campsite, I'd said, okay, maybe, you know, and it is 100% confirmed, or I shouldn't say that. It is confirmed that somebody inside of UA now also suspects that there is a traitor. That's as much as we know. Sure. I mean, we, we have no confirmation that there's a traitor. In fact, even Snipe is like, well, I mean, it could be any of us, including you. And President Mike is like, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, none of them can, not even Nezu can can conclusively prove that they didn't that they aren't the traitor which my i think point, is exactly that's yeah. i have in my notes nezu admits he can't prove he's innocent either villain confirmed okay so by that <laughs> logic present mike is also a villain because he's the first one to say i can't prove that i'm completely innocent well, he'd be stuff. a super cool villain so i'm okay with it <laughs> okay <laughs> i just want you to be logically consistent is all yeah no i mean i if <laughs> you want to talk about logical fallacies man you're talking to the the guy that uh that creates them like i my, <laughs> i follow no logic it is simply my brain going hey yeah. what about this <laughs> so there's this cool shot too where like all might steps out into the hallway because he gets a phone call and everybody um, makes fun of him for it. Like Midnight is like, yeah. is he really his own ringtone? Yeah, don't listen. Just sh- shut up and sit down, Midnight, because that <laughs> ringtone's awesome. It is. Um, but he steps outside in the hallway, and in the anime, he, um, he looks super tiny when he steps out into the hallway. Did you notice that? It was almost like, not quite like a forced perspective. It's not like that at all in the manga. I didn't really, I didn't get that feeling at all, so. There's, I want you to rewatch it. At some point, just, oh, just I definitely to, will because Hannah hasn't seen this episode yet. Okay, so just to gratify me, when he steps out into the hallway, he looks tiny, and I think my best guess was—I mean, he looks like half the size of the door, and I don't think that the doors are like fifteen feet tall. Well, and he's not in his Jinko jeans form either. He's like right, yeah, because he's in—he's like his All Might form. Yeah, but he looks like a child. I mean, I, it almost looks like a weird perspective where they're trying to visually communicate how small he feels. Oh, that's probably what it is. Um, but I was like, ah, I mean, it just looks strange. That's all. And I just made a quick note of it. I was like, look how tiny All Might is in that hallway. But <laughs> he gets he gets a call from the detective whose name you completely quit on a couple episodes ago. It's Sukoichi. It I'm pretty sure I'm saying it correctly now. <laughs> that one episode, you were just like, what, uh, that guy, you know, yeah, you just moved on. All Might's <laughs> that got me good. Um, so the detective lets him know that we may be able to determine the villain's locations because um, they kind of were doing like a stake, not not like a stakeout, but they were canvassing. That's the word. So they're canvassing the neighborhood, and it turns out that um, they talked to somebody who identified one of these shady people as somebody who looked like he was patchwork. Um, I'm guessing they're talking Dobby. about Dobby. Yeah. Yeah. And then they like were able to start talking to people about which building went into and it was condemned or abandoned. But somebody else is like, oh, but there's a bar down there. So they think that they know where they are. But I also did have in my notes that I forgot about the tracking device. 
And I thought that that's what they were going to be talking about here. Yeah, that's what I thought they were going to be talking about too. And they, they weren't at all. I mean, it was really like the, this whole scene felt so loose to me because you've got what has been presented as probably one of the best investigators in town. And he's like, yeah, we had this guy see another guy walk into a building and we checked with the building owner and there's a secret bar down there. Surprise. Like Vlad, Vlad and Aizawa are giving their testimonies from the campsite. So this is when Sukoichi is like, oh, well, you know, that patchwork guy sounds like this patchwork guy. So it's got to be the same. But even with that, I mean, it just felt it felt really weird to me, like how they're just kind of randomly putting these two things together. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sorry, but if if somebody had given me a lead that there was a weird looking patchwork guy that just went into an abandoned building that had a secret hidden bar in it, I would have jumped immediately. I wouldn't. I don't feel like I would have been like, oh yeah, that's not connected to all of this awful villainy happening around us. Right. Well, now he's got an ironclad. I mean, it's kind of like listen. He had to get the uh, evidence rounded up in order to get the uh the warrant you know to go and investigate this building you can't just walk into buildings that you're like i think those people are suspicious otherwise i would be at my neighbor's house all the time because my neighbors are super sketch in fact (laughs) the the last people that lived here this is a true story like two weeks ago i got home and there was like tape over their doors and i was like what and it turns out that they all got arrested for schedule one drug sales and possession oh my god that's terrifying yeah. So anyway, warrants were involved in that process, I bet. I would um, assume so. Yeah. <laughs> and so now now Sukoichi is is doing he's just he's pursuing due process of law and making sure that he's got, you know, the the body of evidence necessary to go and perform what otherwise might have been considered an illegal search of a building that he didn't have, you know, the the permission to be on that property for whatever reason sure or if you're me and you're following my logical processes here sukoichi is the traitor okay but (laughs) dropping that bombshell on you but you also understand that like two minutes ago you said that you are not to be relied upon when it comes to logic so anything that you say becomes illogical just by your own admission Absolutely. But I got to put some points out here for you. I mean, Sukoichi could have been the one behind all of this. In fact, he would be the perfect traitor, if anything, because first of all, he's All Might's best friend. So All Might's never going to suspect him, right? Like All Might's super trusting. Also, he knows about what's going on at UA because of All Might. All Might's keeping him in the loop with all these things that's going on because they're best friends, right? I realize the best friend is the whole part that breaks down this logic here. But well, I think I think the a hidden assumption in what you're saying is that when you say All Might tells them everything, that All Might would have also told them like the location of this camp for some reason. I mean, he could have because he could be like, "Hey, look, these kids are going to this campsite. The feds need to be ready." You know what I mean? Like, I could see him informing this investigator that's been following the League of Villains. It would make sense for him to be in the know-how to some extent. It seems okay. like. So let's uh, let's play your game for a second. Okay. So your your the end of your argument is going to be this that Sukoichi is leading the heroes to this building so that they will have this confrontation with All for One. That's that's why he just as part of this this well, episode so, in this section said, "Hey, we know where they are, so that he can stage this." No, I don't think that's it. I don't. Okay, so like I said, this is a loose straw, right? But. I feel like if Sukoichi is the traitor, then he is going to be the perfect one to be in the know-how. And at this point in time, like with Aizawa and Vlad knowing who Dobby is, if for somehow or for some reason they were to find out that Sukoichi had notated this guy being like a possible suspect, 
and didn't do anything about it, it would look really suspicious. So now he has to act. He has to put these heroes into the right formation. Otherwise, it looks like he's the villain. You know what I mean? Okay. Do you we'll follow see. me a little bit at least? I mean, does that one, is there a little bit of credit there? I just want the record to reflect that during this entire podcast, I've only ever accused one person of being villainous. That wasn't absolutely a villain, and that's Bakugo. Adam, on the other hand, <laughs> has a rap sheet of people that were like, these people are all bad guys, even though they're totally the cute, cuddly, clean-cut, straight-laced, by-the-book heroes. Uh, that, those are the people that Adam uh, suspects are the bad ones. I think I just have like a really wild imagination. I guess. I mean, I it know. is fun to just let you talk about this <laughs> stuff as I, I mean, it doesn't make for great radio, but most of the time when Adam is talking about his harebrained theories, I'm just sitting at my, uh, in my house, just shaking my head, like, where's he going with this? And why does he think this makes sense? <laughs> that's <laughs> Who great. knows? Well, at least you're everybody... going to prove me wrong at some point and that's, it's going to be glorious. That's the great thing is like, if I say enough people are the traitor, eventually I'm going to get it right. Eventually you'll be right. Yeah. It's yeah. the whole, yep. Okay. I got you. <laughs> well, so we, we're going to go ahead and dive back into this. Get off of my crazy traitorous schemes here. Um, Shigaraki is loving all of the free publicity that the media is giving him. We get these couple quick shots where like all of the media is pretty much just talking about the the villainy that's been happening. I mean, they're talking about UA getting attacked and then they're talking about the campsite getting attacked and kids getting kidnapped. And they're, they're even talking about poor Coda, I think at one point in time. Uh, so, yes. you know, like it's getting nasty and Shigaraki turns off the TV and he's just like, look at this, you know, like all these people talking about us. How great is this? Uh, and you see in the background, Bakugo just totally chained up. And so we, he, they've got him. They've got him chained up, and it looks like he's resisting at this point in time. Yep. Um, and then we get, uh, we, we visit Midoriya in the hospital, and he's had it bad. He's in and out of consciousness, um, but he eventually kind of snaps, snaps out of it and regains consciousness. And everyone from 1A ends up inside of Midoriya's room, except for Jiro and Hagakure, who are still unconscious from the gas. Uh, and Momo, who's in another room in the hospital recovering from her own injuries. And uh, I think Midoriya says something like, is everyone here? And of course, Todoroki's like, Bakugo isn't with us. And um, who, who is it that takes issue with that like immediately and is like ribbing uh, Todoroki for even suggesting that or bringing that up? It's one of the female characters, I think. Yeah. Um, I think oh, it's, it was I think uh, it's, Mina. Uh, Mina, yeah. Yeah, she's like, whoa, bro. Uh, yeah, I was like, Todoroki, come on, man. Like, well, I was going to uh, mention, they got really lucky that Hagakuri was wearing clothing because if yeah. she had decided to go invisible for that weird oh, task... Yeah. Like, I mean, I've had D&D characters die before because they were invisible and no one knew where they were and they were bleeding out. That is exactly what it would have happened to Hagakuri. They never would yeah. have found her. Like, the Good fact call. that they got a gas mask on her to begin with is actually really fortunate. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, th there's this really good, um, I wouldn't call it a discussion or e even really a monologue, but um, Midoriya starts talking about how upset he is that he wasn't able to save somebody who was right in front of him, which is very almighty language. Um, and he says, that's what my quirk is for. And I particularly like that phrasing for him because it, he speaks of it as an ability with a purpose. And in his case, that's a very different statement than these people who just always have had a quirk. For him specifically, he was like, I was given this quirk to do this thing. It's not like I've had this quirk and I'm trying to use it to do this thing. It was, I was given this and this is its purpose. And I have failed at that particular aim. 
Um, so he's he's upset that he couldn't save somebody right in front of him. And then this is where Kirishima chimes up and he's like, well, why don't we just, you know, go save him now? And this is where things start to get heated amongst all the Class 1A folks. We get a quick flashback here uh, where Kirishima and Todoroki were both going to go visit Midoriya in the hospital and some of the other students. And it's funny because they they walk past Momo, who is talking to Sukoichi and All Might, and explaining to them about the tracker she placed. And there's a great moment here where All Might gives her so much credit because he says something to her like, you know, one of your biggest shortcomings is that you're not able to make decisions on the fly. And in the moment, like in the heat of the moment, you made the decision that was best and you could not have progressed further. And I'm so proud of you. Like he's really given her the big thumbs up. Uh, so she's generated, uh, she calls it a new creation. She's like, this is the creation that will lead you to that tracker. And it looks like a little like ham radio almost. I mean, it's, it's a GPS signal, you know, locker, I guess. Right. Um, that's a, that's a new word for you. A GPS signal locker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they tell Midoriya, like we could get her to create another one and you could come with us to go and save Bakugo. And that's kind of where we transition out of this episode, and we go right into 46, where it picks up right from there. Yeah, and the very last thing that takes place, just really quickly, because there's some interesting touchstone moments for Ida and Kirishima. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was thinking they were in the next episode here. Yeah, so Ida is struggling with repentance, because he's like, they're all yelling at Kirishima, and maybe Todoroki too. I can't remember how vocal he was in all of this. Probably not very much, but Kirishima is definitely very vocal about this because you know Bay Bakugo is is kidnapped. And <laughs> well, he, he's also talking about how he feel like he can't call himself a hero or a man because he finally right. has a chance to do something right. other than to stand around like he was forced to do at the campsite. So it's not just Bay Bakugo, you know. I know, but I was <laughs> I was going to say that Kirishima in this moment is struggling with impotence. I mean, yeah. on two fronts. He's Absolutely. like, I, I can't, I wasn't able to be a hero and I'm, and I won't be able to be a man if I don't do this. So he's struggling with impotence on those two fronts. And uh, Ida, on the other hand, his language is one of repentance where he's like, if you understand that you shouldn't do this, then you won't do it again. That's what repentance is. It's, you know, you shouldn't do it. You did it. You learned you shouldn't have Then You don't do it again. Um, so it's just really, uh, it was a good conversation and, um, you know, point for point, point and counterpoint uh, discussion between those two. And this is where we do get into episode 46 from Ida to Midoriya. And I did notice too, this is another one of those things where I'm like, how have I not noticed this stuff? Kaminari in this scene standing in the hospital is wearing a shirt with the OM symbol on it, O-H-M. Yeah. Um, for electrical resistance. Has he been wearing this shirt the whole time? Like, I feel like this we've entire seen it, series? We've seen it a few times, I think. I think it's his, like, down shirt. You know what I mean? Because okay. I feel like in TV shows like this, characters always have, like, three outfits. Like, they've got their superhero outfit when they're at school and when yeah. they're at home. Okay. I'd, uh, maybe I missed it this whole time, but I've got a track record of not being the most perceptive individual when it comes to this show. But anyway, the conversation continues. Shoji is like, this isn't a situation where we should act on our emotions. And Sue is saying, no matter how just your feelings are. If you're saying you'll fight again and that you'll break the rules, then you're the exact same as the villains. Yeah, I I really like the way that she said it in the English version because she says it doesn't matter your intentions. If you go out there and try to find bad guys knowing you're breaking the rules, then you're acting like villains, not heroes. And I'm like, ah, right on you, Sue. Like, yet again, another reason to prove me right for being the best character on this show. Yeah, but then Kirishima's totally like, hey, listen, uh, we're going to do this tonight. If we go, we go tonight. Yeah. And well, he's looking at Midoriya at this point. He's like, listen, you're, you're probably the most frustrated. I don't even know if you can move, but I do feel like we should be inviting you to this anyway. And you kind of get this shot of Ida, who's like 
kind of hanging back in the doorway and um, I couldn't tell if he was stopping in the doorway because he genuinely wants to go and help and he's like getting the details for where and when to meet or if he was just preparing to tattle on them like you know what I mean like go down the hall find all might and be like yo these knuckleheads are about to go do this because that would be totally a class rep move. Yeah. I got the feeling that he was sticking back to listen so that way he could interrupt them more so than anything else. I didn't think that he would tattletale because he, he doesn't really seem like a tattletale. I mean, from the very beginning, anytime someone does something he doesn't like, he just tells them. He doesn't grunt anybody else for them to handle it. Like, think about all the times that Kirishima or Bakugo were like putting their feet up on the desk. You know, Ida would just be like, "Dude, get your feet off the desk!" Like, he wouldn't be like, "All right, right make them do this." You know, so that's true. The, he seems like the kind of guy that's like, "All right, I'm going to be the dad in this situation and handle it." You know, good, good. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a good point. This is when the doctor interrupts everybody because after Sue makes her comment, there's a really weird, long, awkward pause and everyone has got some like serious self-contemplation going on. And then the doctor, who looks totally abnormal, like I don't know what's up with this doctor, but he reminded me of Weasel from the Deadpool movie. Okay. Like, <laughs> I, I don't didn't know. get any sense of abnormality from him really? whatsoever. He just yeah. seems super disheveled. I don't know. Maybe that was just me reading too much into it. Uh, but he's explaining to Midoriya that the, like he's like, dude, you were totally messed up. Like... Y- y- the fact that you can move your arms right now is literally a miracle. Recovery Girl did get a chance to come in and heal his arms, and it's really the only reason that Midoriya can even move them around. But they're so traumatized. I think he mentions that like the previous injuries were pretty repairable, but this time it was so devastating that if it happens two or three more times, he doesn't think he'll ever be able to move his arms again. Yeah, he's, he specifically says that it's, you know, bones... Bones can be rebuilt, but the ligaments are tougher to do for that. And he says the ligaments protect the joints, and those ligaments are deteriorating at this insane rate. And I remember a few years ago, I was actually attacked by a rabid fox. This is a 100% true story. What? I've never heard uh, this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that we have enough time in this episode to tell it, but I'll, I'll, maybe I'll tell it off air, or we can just amend it to the end of the episode later. But anyway, I thought that I had maybe broken my ankle in this exchange with this fox, and I went and got an x-ray, and there was no break, but the x-ray tech and the doctor was basically like, we really wish you had broken your ankle, because all of this damage then is to like tissue, and that's going to be way worse and, and more difficult to repair. And that's what this doctor is explaining. And he's like, listen, two or three more injuries of this level. And you're going to come, you're going to have to live without the use of your arms completely. And that just like freezes Midoriya. And then this is when, and this is appropriately timed, I guess. Um, but this is when the doctor's like, oh, also here's this note from Coda. Uh, and it's yeah. a little bit of levity after a devastating emotional and just like heavy dose of reality for Midoriya is this note from Coda that says, Midoriya, I'm sorry I punched you in the balls. And in my notes, I just said, it's scrotum, sir. Because uh, <laughs> that's where that's where Ida was screaming, and it was great. But then it says, thank you for saving me, even though you barely knew me. Please get better soon so I can thank you in person, Coda. And this got me thinking about, Coda has said this multiple times. I think he said this in Aizawa in a very brief scene in one of the last episodes where he's like, why did he do that? He doesn't even know me even though you barely knew me is this phrase that he's thrown around a couple of times internally and now vocally and in uh, written language. And isn't that what like probably most hero work is, is saving people that you don't know, like, you know, fire, even like first responders, firemen, police, you know, if anybody does something heroic to, 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 to go into hero mode only for those whom, you know, 
that doesn't feel terribly heroic. It's kind of like the scripture that says, if you, if you love those who love you back, what credit or what good, what good is that? You know? Yeah. So it seems like most hero work is somebody acting, uh, in defense of, or on behalf of somebody who they don't know. Right. Or am I just no, reading I, too much into this? I think you're totally on the right point there, but I think you also have to keep in mind from Coda's perspective. I mean, he is at an age where he's lost both of his parents, so he doesn't have them. He's living with some like random cousin of his parents. Like he can't, he doesn't seem to know Mandalay all that well. He's been uprooted out of his school, like out of his home life. And he's been put in this random, like, you know, training camp for high schoolers. Like he has nobody, no one does know him. No one's. And, and on top of that, he's in a situation where like right after people pass away is typically when everyone comes out of the woodworks and pretends to care about you for all of, you know, 10 days and then go back on with their normal lives. So he has been experiencing nothing but people pretending to care about him essentially in his mind, you know? Sure. And then out of nowhere, there's this guy that really does care about him and shows him like, doesn't just say, Oh, you know, like I feel bad for you. What can I do to help? He actually acts on it, and that's probably the first time that Coda's seen that. So I think it was a. I think from the perspective of Coda, it's a completely different story. You know what I mean? Right. And I think I don't think I was approaching it from the perspective of Coda at all. I thought I was just talking like in generalities. Hero sure, work yeah. is at a generality. You, you, you're totally right. Like hero yeah. work is for the random people. Like you're if you're only saving your friends, you're not a hero. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there's something the doctor says here that I kind of like. He talks about the first step to recovering is sometimes a mental recovery. Like, he, he tells him, like, don't forget, you did save right. a life. Yeah, yeah. You know? So the doctor does, I mean, it is kind of odd timing. Like, hey, here's a really awful news for you, but then here's some little good news to kind of, like, bring you back. So uh, I can see what you're saying. Well, then I don't know how much of a time jump we get, but uh, Bakugo, Bakugo, Midori ends up on the phone with his mom and he starts to tell her like, Hey, I'm fine, but, uh, I won't be home for a couple of days. And there's a little bit of a discussion that's kind of taken place between them. And then you hear the mom's side of the conversation and she just says, do you have to go to UA? And that scene transitions right after that. And I was like, dang, like this is devastating his mama. And this isn't the first glimpse of her frustration with this. Like after her, uh, he got interrogated, well interrogated, after he got questioned by the police at the mall, she was like, I, I don't know how much I can, how often I can do this. I don't know how much more of this I can take. And it's been a consistent point of pressure for Midoriya that his mom is like, please come home essentially is what she's asking. Like, can you, can you not do this? And I thought that that was a really kind of heartbreaking line that we're all made privy to. And that from this point on in this, not just in this episode, but in this show, we know Midori is living with the knowledge of that question from his mom. And that is, I don't think that that's an insignificant detail for us to keep in mind as we go forward. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, fact of the matter is his mom probably for most of her life realized that she would never have to worry about her son doing hero work. And then all of a sudden he goes off to you know high school and comes back with the quirk of the number one hero and is trying to be the number one hero and not succeeding. I mean, don't get me wrong, from our perspective, Midori is doing great. But from his mother's perspective, she's seen him in the hospital like time and time again. This, I mean, that's heartbreaking for anybody who has kids, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing to, like I said, just keep in mind as potential color for decisions that he makes going forward. Or decisions, or decisions that he doesn't make. I mean, That's it's true. it's going to be interesting. But I, think I think it's going to affect his psyche a lot. Yeah. So we, we transition away from that, and we find out that Sukoichi is rounding up some heavy hitters. So we know Endeavor's on board. or all, we know All Might's on board. All Might's yeah. on board. 
Um, he also rounds up Endeavor, Best Genus, Edge Shot, Gang Orca, and we can talk about these in just a second, Gran Torino, um, and then Tiger of the Wild Wild Pussycats, and then Kamui and Mount Lady are all on this like strike force. And this, it was kind of interesting, or at least all those heroes are shown but it's interesting because I started looking at, they, as these names were popping up, they were showing their hero rank. And so we know All Might is one, Endeavor's two, Best Genus is four, Edshot is five, Gang Orca, I think, was ten. Gran Torino doesn't have a ranking. But who is number three, and why aren't they on this? Well, and I, that's where I'm not really sure, because I was thinking the same thing. If we know Endeavor's two, I assumed Best Genus was three, because there's no one in between. You would think that they just want the top five. But like you said, Gang Orca is like number 10. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know that we've been given an official number three. And I was kind of thinking that maybe it's because All Might is involved. Like All Might's kind of retired. So if Endeavor's number one, that puts Best Genist at number two and Edshot at number three. But then if All Might gets involved, they all kind of get pushed back one level. I don't know. Yeah, it's even weirder when you compare like the manga to the notes that I took to the wiki because in the manga it shows a panel where it says number one hero all might number two hero endeavor number four hero best genus number five hero headshot but if you go to the wiki it's endeavor number one hero this guy named hawks who we haven't met apparently number two hero best genus number three headshot number four this person named mirko number five and Gang Orca's number 11, so there's well, like weird discrepancies between these things. And we don't even know what qualifying factor they're using to say that these people are, like, how are they ranking them? Like, All Might's number one just because he's number one, right? Like, he's literally taking Japan's crime rate down to 6% when the rest of the world's at 20%. So that is a number, like a quantifiable number. They can go, okay, because of All Might, crime is down, you know, 12% or 14%. Yeah. But with Endeavor and, and Best Genist and Edshot, like, are they looking at the same numbers there? Or is it just a matter of, oh, well, he stopped 35 crimes this month, so he's employee of the yeah. month. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they all work for different uh, companies, too. Like, Endeavor has his own company. So I'm just curious, like, have all the companies sat down and said, okay, this is how we agree on our structures, and this is how you know what hero we have. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. It was just interesting that there were just weird number discrepancies between all these different mediums. But yeah. regardless... Two things are true. Number one, Gang Orca looks awesome. He looks like a whale, but Greninja, or a Greninja, I should say, but a whale, but but like a uh, an orca or a killer whale. I don't and know. It, man. His tongue is like his tie. He's he's got a cool design. I can't wait to see him in action. I don't want to see him at all. Like I, I was telling you off this off air, whales are like my weirdest phobia. I have I've had this weird phobia against whales since I can remember seeing a superhero whale. Not happening, dude. I would be <laughs> I, like, I would be getting out of that situation. I don't want any hero shaped like a whale near me. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But I did. Other... I was curious though that like, so all might makes sense. Endeavor makes sense. Best genus makes sense. And I, I do want to make a quick comment about G best genus. He is like telling his crew that he's going away for a little while, and he keeps using terminology like he's working in a hair salon, and I love that. Um, <laughs> Then they've got Gran Torino, which I thought was weird because his hero license has been stripped literally like a week ago. So I'm surprised that they're even able to recruit him. You know what I mean? Maybe this is 
Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, it, it's it has to be an official channel kind of thing. I would guess. I, I would guess. I don't know. And then, well, but not only that, Gran Torino was never really a hero. He even said last season, or or maybe it was like earlier this season, that he was he just needed his powers for like, or he just needed his uh his license to be a hero for like, yeah to one do or what he things. wanted to. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just surprised that they went to Gran Torino. Uh, I wonder if maybe it's because he has inside knowledge on all for one yeah, because he previously be bought him or something, which kind of leads me into Tiger. I thought Tiger was a really weird choice until I realized that he has fought these villains, so he has the one up on him because of that alone. Yeah, uh, he's got Ka- some knowledge. Kamui makes sense to me, the wood hero, but Mount Lady, not at all. Like I am uh, with you. Her quirk is that she gets big. She's going to give everything away. What would she do in an abandoned bar? Like I, I just don't know how she's going to help them in this situation. I don't know. I mean, I thought Kamui was almost like a fan fairy edition too. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll find out that Sukoichi has like a master plan that involves all of their quirks, you know, working together to some end or use or working independently towards the same goal. Uh, but we'll find out. Regardless, I think that this this lineup is going to be interesting to watch and see. For sure. Um, what they could do. Because some of these guys, we don't even know what they do. Like Edshot and Gang Orca, this is the first time we've heard of either of them. Yeah. So I'm excited for Edshot, man. He looked really neat. He does have a pretty neat character design. That's yeah. true. And Gang Orca looked cool. I'm just scared of him. So yeah. I'll give, him, <laughs> Fair I'll give enough. credit where credit's due. His tongue was a tie. That's pretty neat. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So uh, we move away from his little task force assembling, and we're back at the pivotal scene of the rest of this episode as... Uh, Kirishima and Todoroki are standing around outside of the hospital waiting to see if Midoriya is going to join them, waiting to see if Momo is going to join them because they still have to get a receiver from Momo. Their their plan is to, they know about the tracker. So their plan is to get Momo to create a second tracking device uh, so that they can go in to, you know, track down where these guys are and, and try to mount a rescue for Bakugo. Um, they, they get there and there's a lot of talk back and forth about how wrong this is, but they explain that it's going to be a covert op, that they're not going to use their quirks to fight. They're just going to toe the line on the rules and maybe exploit a little bit of a loophole. Momo says that um, she's she's going to come along just to make sure that nothing gets out of hand. Um, and then I think at some point in here, uh, Ida shows up. Yeah, Ida shows up pretty much immediately after Momo and Midoriya come out of the hospital because I think Kirishima and Todoroki had had to kind of like convince Momo because there's a a quick scene where she's like, well, I'm going to have to think about it. You know, like, I don't know that I'm going to help you guys with this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as she's about to create everything, that's when Ida shows up and he is pissed. Like, he he's telling Midoriya, like, you know, whenever I saw you, the only thing I could think of was my brother just laying there broken and dying. And, you know, why did it have to be you guys? Like, why is it that the two people that I literally just went through this with mm-hmm. 15 episodes ago are the ones I'm having to rebel against, you know? Like, I don't understand. We've been through this. You guys know you can't do this. And he actually decks Midoriya. And I was so mad at him. Like, I get that this is a cartoon. This is just a show and everything. But, like... Midoriya and Ida are probably close to best friends at this point. Like, they have been working really hard with each other. They have a lot of respect for each other. Midoriya has been laid up in the hospital for over a week, slipping in and out of consciousness, and Ida just decks him? Like, I mean, Ida's a strong guy. He's a pretty big dude. There's no way that Midoriya didn't feel that. Right, but he's... And he makes a, a good point, because he basically says, I'm worried about my classmates, not just Bakugo. Everybody, right. of course, is worried about Bakugo, but Ida's like, listen, I'm, I'm class rep. I'm worried about all of you. 
uh, and he ends up tagging along for similar reasons um, that uh, that Momo is. We kind of get a breakaway really quickly before we return to them, where Shigaraki is sitting over top of Bakugo, who's still restrained, and he's like, uh, I'm going to ask you one more time, will you join me? And the implication there is that they've asked Bakugo lots of times, and Bakugo apparently has been turning them down. Which and is this awesome. Is, yeah, very brief scene, and I was like, oh, snap. And um, What did he tell uh, Shigaraki, out of curiosity, in the Japanese version? Uh, I didn't write that down. In the manga, he says, you can shove your offer and go to hell. That's great. In the English version, he says, you can go throw yourself into traffic, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty great. But this is that scene right there, that little four-second aside, before we get back to the, the Black Ops uh, starting to get their stuff together, started to make me rethink my long-standing, since probably episode one theory, about Bakugo Breaking Bad, because he's had plenty of opportunity now, and he seems to be holding out. So I think, I think my opinion on that matter has shifted as of this moment right here in the yeah. show. Yeah, I think this was a pretty powerful moment. I think if we get another moment like this here in just a couple minutes, but for now, we're going to transition back to the students that are about to go break Bakugo out of this out of this situation here. Uh, Momo actually asks Ida, like, hey, why did you decide to join us? And he basically just says, well, I'm contingency. The moment that things go bad, I'm getting us all out of here. And Momo agrees. She's like, yeah, that's really the only reason I'm coming too. In fact, we get kind of internal monologue from her. And she's hoping that the moment that these guys realize how unrealistic their plan is, that they're just going to give up. And I'm like, does Momo yeah. even know these guys? Like, That's has not, she spent any no amount of time with them? No, yeah. I mean, nope. they've got, they're sticking to this plan. Um, apparently, the rest of the class knows about this plan, too. They're sitting on a subway, like, or it's not a subway, it's just a train. And they're headed to a place named the Camino Ward. And they're just, like, nonchalantly eating ice cream. And I think Todoroki's, like, popping a couple pastries. And they're just like, yeah, you know, everyone else knows about us uh, doing this, and and they didn't like it. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, okay, they're on their way to possibly go and infiltrate the League of Villains, and they're just hanging out. Like, it's no big deal. Like, "Ah, let's just get some, you know, Butterfingers on the way, and I I, I wouldn't be able to eat anything. Like, my stomach would be in knots. I agree, and I also am kind of frustrated with the fact that everybody else in Class 1A is now complicit. If in anything that happens... Because if if they don't, let's say if, because we haven't seen this play out yet, but if they tell nobody and something happens, it is on all of their heads. Well, that's kind of one of the of reasons... That's kind of one of the reasons that Ida ends up showing up is the fact that he say, he makes a mention of like, if you guys go out there and get yourselves killed, it's my fault. Like, I didn't try mm-hmm. and stop you. They end up in the Camino Ward, which appears to kind of be like Vegas almost. I mean, it was like a really busy part of town. Yeah, and they decide, like, um, they're, they're, Kirishima is... 100% gung-ho immediately. He's like, all right, which way do we go? And Momo's like, all right, calm down. Like, we, the people that we're going to try to track down know what we look like, so we need to bust out some disguises. We need to be covert. And then this is where Midoriya, like, puts his arms up in front of his face in, like, an X, and somebody's just like, that makes you stand out more, you idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think he, he does that, and he goes, stealth mode. Yeah. I, I, I had in my notes here that Momo just needs to bust out some Groucho glasses. You know those glasses that <laughs> yeah. have the noses and the mustaches? Yeah, totally. I would have laughed my butt off if she actually just pulled those out of her body. But she doesn't. Instead, they go um, and buy some disguises from a store. And so, like, Did you Momo happen to get the out. name of the store? No. Hold on. I might be able to look at it, uh, look it up in the manga. Did you catch it? I, I did, not. yeah. Uh, so okay. they go to a place named Dirt Cheap Donkey Uti. 
And I kind of looked it up. I was wanting to try and figure out, like, is this an actual store in Japan or what is it? Uh, and apparently it looks like it is an actual store in Japan. Oh, uh, really? It, yeah. And in fact, if you search for it's D-O-N-K-I-O-O-T-E, two words, and you'll see a bunch of images pop up for these stores. Uh, and it looks like it may have come from My Hero Academia. Like, when oh, I look it up, yeah, it seems like it originated in My Hero Academia, and then they have created stores named that. Um, but I couldn't figure out what it translated to. I have no idea. Like, the only thing I could find was Don Quixote, which I don't think is the same thing. So I don't think so either. But they do. I did pick up on something else, and I'll say it in just a second. But in the manga, this is really funny. So in the show, they show like a montage of each of the students coming out one at a yeah. time. Um, in the manga, there's just a panel that just says, wabam, and it's all five of them standing there in these outfits. And Momo in both the anime or in the anime in particular, it's really hard to tell in the manga, but she's holding a can of the same hairspray that she spent her internship watching Uwabami sell. I noticed that. I thought that was great. It's called um, Uneri, which in Japanese means undulation or bounce, which is, you know, oh, appropriate like for hairspray. Hair. Totally. Yep. I also noticed in the anime, whenever they're coming out of the dressing room, it said their names above them as if we didn't know who they were going to be. Yeah, it's uh, funny. But then in, for Kirishima, he has like an extra name. It, it, like it says, you know, Deku, Deku, and then Todoroki comes out and he looks different. It says Todoroki and same with Momo and Ida. With Kirishima, he comes out and it says Bond's friends Kirishima. So oh, I must have missed that. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was in the manga, if that was explained at all. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I was I hoping I was hoping that you might know cuz I have no idea. So if you guys know, tweet us, let us know. I'm curious if that was a reference to something or something. What's going on with his head though? I don't know. I think that's a Mount Lady uh like tiara thing. That's kind of what I was thinking. That looks like something Mount Lady wears. Okay. I mean, that's a theory. I c I can't place like picture Mount Lady in my head right now, but I was like, what in the world? Aren't you supposed to be being inconspicuous and you're running around with this weird thing protruding off the top of your head? Well, like Mount Lady has like horns, but this thing looks less like horns. It looks like almost like I don't know, like weird jagged ears. I don't know. It's yeah, strange. I don't looking. know. It is. It is strange. I, the only thing I could think of is like Mount Lady ish. Yeah. They totally cut Ida's hair though. Like he gets a full blown haircut. Yeah, what did uh, what did Ida say? So there's like a scene where they're all like getting into their characters or whatever. What does he say in the English? Oh, I think he just says something about how there are a couple of hot fellows looking for a few floozies or something like that. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was really weird. Like I, he he was talking about being on the prowl or something. It was it was kind of odd. So <laughs> this is one of my favorite discrepancies between the manga and the anime so far. So in the anime. He just screams at the top of his lungs, there's a lady with a huge rack over there. <laughs> Which is That's so awesome. not an Ida thing, but he's I totally get... getting into character. And he does that because if you'll recall the heroes versus villains thing, this is something yeah. that Ida actually does. Yeah, he like gets into character, psychs himself up. In the manga, though, he speaks pig Latin. And he what? says, there's an Earl Gay with Ig Bay Oobs Bay in pig <laughs> Latin in the manga. I was I like, feel like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Mineta would approve of this. Yeah, it was just really funny. Well, and for some reason, Midoriya is wearing like this little chin hair and he's like just sticking his chin out and just going, oi. Yeah. Just, I know. This whole scene is great. Like, it's just really goofy. Yeah. Anybody that uh, that lives near me or knows me at all would get a kick out of him saying oi because that's how i get my dog's attentions oh really uh, yeah i just say oi and they like even now i'm sitting in my kitchen and i said that and their heads pop up off their pillows and they're looking at me like what do you want that's funny so well, after um, they get todoroki is like why didn't we just make these momo which is a 
question that I had too. Why didn't you just create stuff? And she gets into this whole thing about like economics, like how she wouldn't be continuing with the circulation of money. And I can't remember if it was in the anime or in the manga, but one of somebody was just like, she just really wanted to go into that store because it's not a place that she would shop normally because she's super rich. Yeah, I think Kirishima is the one that says it in the anime. He's like, I think the rich girl just wants to spend some money. Yeah, which is funny. So as they're walking out in their new get-ups, uh, they actually see a UA High press conference happening on what appears to be like a massive monitor, kind of like in the middle of New York or something you would see. Uh, and it's Nezu, Aizawa, and Vlad. And they're all dressed up. They look really nice. In fact, Aizawa looks really out of place because he's in a suit. He's not wearing his normal get-up. He looked really, really out of place. Like He just did not want to be there. Uh, I think even one of the students mentions, like, wow, we all know how much he hates being on TV. Yep. And they're apologizing for the camp, uh, for the encounters with the villains, and, you know, like, all kinds of stuff. I mean, they're they're taking all the blame for this, and the the media is just giving it to them. You know, they're asking, like, well, how did you explain this to the families? What are you guys planning on doing from here on out? Like, how are you going to protect these kids? You've had multiple villain attacks, and, you know, Midoriya makes the comment that he could feel the mood changing. The crowd is all, like, starting to get this hate towards villains towards these heroes and, and they're starting to talk about them like they're villains and he can he mentions like off air or kind of an internal monologue that at this point in time was the changing point like i think that the villains are starting to win here yeah and i like this is something that i thought the anime did much better than the manga did is there's this scene where they kind of pull back from the crowd and everybody in the crowd is like either blue or red and then the the ua students are the whatever the other color so if like the crowd was all blue then the ua students were red and it just showed like visually again because that you know it's it's you know these are both visual mediums but i thought the show did this better this isolation and this very separate and otherness that they're experiencing in the midst of this crowd as they're listening to society voice a disbelief and and a distrust and an unrest over the very things that they're that they stand for, that they believe in, and that they're trying to become in heroes. And I thought that that was a really well done scene. I agree. So we get another awesome scene here that kind of just wraps up this episode with Shigaraki, with Shigaraki watching the news. And he, I think he's seeing the same media conference that our students were seeing uh, in the middle of this town square. And he, he's talking to Bakugo about like, wow, you know, like these modern heroes have really got it rough, don't they? Like, why are they villainizing them? Like, what did they do wrong? And and Spinner actually makes a comment here about how heroes in the current system only care about money and glory, and, and that's all they want. And I'm sitting here racking my brain, like, these guys aren't paying attention. I mean, All Might could care less about money, I feel like. Even Endeavor, to some extent, could probably care less about money. It sounds like he just wants to be the number one hero. And ultimately, if saving people is, you know, the end goal there, th does it matter if they want glory? Like, shouldn't they get glory to some extent? I, I don't know. I just kind of playing devil advocate with these villains here. You know, it seemed like a uh, like they're missing the point of what a hero really is. And this is when Shigaraki starts asking Bakugo, like, well, you know, what do you think justice is? What is a hero? What is society? Is society fair? Like, do you think that everyone will be asking these questions soon? And this is when he mentions that the moment that people start asking these questions is when the villains have won. And Bakugo likes winning, so, you know, why don't you join our side and win with us? Which was a really interesting angle for him to take. Yeah. I mean, he, he's like, we're planning on winning. You like winning too, don't you? Yeah, it is. It's really, I mean, this is like manipulation at its finest. 
Uh, and this is when he tells Dobby, like, hey, man, go ahead and unshackle him. He's he's a recruit. You know, we should treat him like a recruit. He's an equal. You know, we're not he's not our hostage. We're asking him to be part of us. How how would he ever become and be part of this group if we leave him shackled up here? And Dobby just totally doesn't trust him at all. He's like, nah, twice you go take care of yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. And Shigaraki's just explaining to Bakugo as as they're kind of getting towards moving, removing his, sh- his shackles. He's like, everyone here has been restricted by people, by rules, and by heroes. And he's including Bakugo in that conversation. Um, and they, they do eventually get the gall enough to uh, take his shackles off. And there's a couple seconds where Bakugo is like rubbing at his wrists because they were, you know, um, restrained for so long. And then he just immediately just full-on blasts Shigaraki in the face. Yeah, it was great. In fact, Shigaraki's like weird hand mask falls off. Yeah. And it and so basically Bakugo said he's like basically you just want me to harass people, so you just want me to join you. And he has this flashback and we've seen this one of his before where he's watching All Might on the television show and and it's him adoring All Might um and worshiping him and having a similar feeling towards All Might then that Midoriya does now, but we also see that Bakugo retains um, a lot of these same feelings of adoration and even the hopes of emulation in All Might because he says, I want to win like All Might. And no matter what anyone says, that will never change. And that, again, just solidified that revision of my theory that I talked about earlier where he, I I no longer think that he's going to turn into a villain. Uh, I I don't think based on these two scenes in this one episode that that will ever happen anymore. I don't think that. Well, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna throw this out there because I, I've been feeling that way for a long time. I think I've always, for the most part, said I didn't think Bakugo was going to break bad. But I've watched this episode twice now. And at that last scene there, you know, he's talking about how he wants to win like All Might. And I'm totally in the opinion that Bakugo's not going to break bad. That's still what I think. But I want to pose this because we don't know what's going to happen, right? Like, we haven't seen next week's episode. Right. What if he wants to win like All Might? And when he says that, he wants to do it his way. Like, no, I'm not going to join you, but you guys can join me. And I'll do the one, like, I'll be the one that's causing the problems. I'm going to be the one that leads. Because Bakugo doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would turn bad and then report to somebody. Like, he seems like he would break bad and be the villain. You know what I mean? So it would be interesting if... He does break bad, and it totally blows us away. And on top of that, he becomes like the leader, and one and all for one actually decides to choose him over Shigaraki or something. That would be really cool. Okay, so interesting. That adds this different kind of wrinkle to the actual flashback because the flashback is when All Might is facing off against four people, and it's it's four on one. No way he can win, win right? And, and then, then he does. Yeah, and then he does. And now we have, it's interesting that you say this because now Bakugo is standing in a room of half a dozen villains. Yeah. And so, okay, that's interesting. I, I can, I can leave room for that to happen and I would be, I would be okay with that. That's an interesting theory that you got there, sir. Um, Well, you know me, I like to, I like to throw in crazy theories here and there. Yeah. (laughs) So the, the last thing that happens in the, in the anime is that Shigaraki is not even really paying all that much mind to Bakugo anymore because he's just his face is locked on the hand that came off of his face and he looks at it and it, he just says father. And then the credits start rolling. And there are no after credits scene this time. So I didn't, you know, I didn't watch the next on, uh, I have no, like, I have no comments to even think about what he's saying there because we're, we have no idea if he's talking about all for one or if he's talking about his real father 
or if he's just talking about his daddy issues in general. Like I I I hate how they've breadcrumbed this weird father thing for so many seasons now. Yeah, there is an after credit scene. You just didn't watch it, I think. Oh, really? Because I could have sworn I went to the after credits and it went straight into the like uh, next on. Like the previews. For oh, next oh, week, yeah, which yeah. I, I don't watch those. I, I meant yeah. like okay, every once in a saying. while, there's an episode or two where they roll credits, and then there's like a whole another five minutes of the episode. Like, yeah, it nothing seems like that. Really inappropriate to just roll credits like that. Yeah, nothing like that. But there is a next on, and inside of it, um, we find out that the the students with Momo and and that whole crew they do. Uh, use the tracker to go to where the uh, the tracking device leads them. However, they discover it's a Nomu factory, and that isn't where Bakugo is. So now we have the potential that the students are going to be in place A, and the heroes, the pro heroes, are going to be in some other place. And we don't know how remote it's going to be or anything like that. I would be shocked if the two didn't cross streams at some point in the in the relatively near future. It wouldn't surprise me if they ride it to the point where like Midoriya and crew are getting wrecked by these Nomus and the, you know, a team finds out and they have to abandon their post and let the league of villains get away. So that way they can go save the students. And then the students get reprimanded because, you know, they're doing the same thing they did at the end of last season. When Man, they, they would have. get in so much trouble if that's how yeah. it played out. Like, I like to think that that dog would just, like, chew them apart. Like, chew them <laughs> be like, I yeah. warned you, Bark. Or Wolf. That's what he'd say. I warned you, Wolf. <laughs> yeah. But we do know that, at least for the, you know, the next little bit, they it seems like they're going to be in two very different locations. I'm excited but to see at these the same heroes, time, man. I mean, at the same time, the police do have a device that can lead them to the same place that those students are, because they have the same little tracker device from Momo. Yeah. So it's not like they couldn't get there if they didn't want to, and, you know, who knows, maybe, uh, I don't know how it's going to play out, but... I would think that they would have looked at that tracking device and, and realized that it's not the same place that their secret hidden bar is. True. But they would also know that that device was attached to a Nomu. True, Yeah. Maybe they're already aware of the Nomu factories, and they just didn't have the whereabouts or knowledge of, of where it would be. So, I don't know. There's... We're also assuming that all of the pro heroes are going to the same place. It could be that they're going to split this task force into two and send oh. some to the place where the no, where they know a Nomu to be, and they, that they would also conceivably know that that place isn't the place where Patchwork Face Guy is. That's so, maybe they're splitting them up. That. That's, a good, that's a good point. Hmm. Well, it sounds like we're going to be one of those things. Yep. First thing, episode 46, guarantee you we're going to know exactly which way, or episode 47, we're going to know exactly which, uh, how this stuff falls out. Definitely. Well, it's been fun this week, Atkins. It was, man. We're looking forward to next week's episode. Y'all stay tuned. Keep watching along. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, jumping on the discord. Uh, be sure to leave us an iTunes review Uh, those really help us get put up in the the charts and help more people find us Uh, we would love it if you guys would drop by and leave us an iTunes review yeah especially the iTunes review don't let the bystander effect get the best of you and say ah somebody else will do it because no no they're not because (laughs) we've had four reviews since we launched in April so and I know there are (laughs) way more of you listening We, we have hundreds of downloads every week so I know that there are more than just you know, five or six people listening. (laughs) That's right. Do us a favor guys and uh, keep enjoying the pod hopefully. And we'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week for episodes 48 and 47, 47 and 48. That's correct. I had to say them backwards. Have a good one guys.
The Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.